We are back in the book of Matthew, which I'm excited for. Um, if you have uh, if you have Bibles, turn with me there. If you don't have Bibles, please just slip your hands up. The ushers will come hand you one. But before we get there, I guess I'm going to ask you a couple questions. And this is interactive time. Um, kids in the room. Any of the kids in here that are confident to answer this? What is your most favorite toy? Just yell it out. If you're a kid in here and you have a favorite toy. <laughs> You ruined it. You ruined it. I was coming to adults later for toys. Okay, so <laughs> kids, what's your favorite toy? Your scooter. That's a good one. Yeah, okay. What else is there? Barbies? Yeah, that's a good one too. Any, any other kids that want to loud, loud, yell in front of all these adults? Okay, I like it too. That's awesome. <laughs> okay, adults, what's your favorite toy? We are, what's your hammock? Is that what you said? That's awesome. Yeah. Your kids? Frisbee? Okay. See, have you ever noticed, like, here's the thing about toys, and here's the thing about something that's, that we find value. We will work exceptionally hard for those things. Have you ever noticed, like, like and kids, I'll, I'll pick on you for a second. As kids, if you, if you get this first toy, whether it's your birthday or Christmas or whatever they do, like, if your parents say something like, hey, you can go ahead and play with your scooter. You can play on these things, but first you need to do these chores. Have you ever noticed that kids do chores immensely well in that time? It's as fast as possible because they're just one-track mind focused in, ready to do what they need to do so that they can enjoy that toy. Well, as adults, we do the same thing. We just hide it better. Right? So we, we, we spend all our energy, time, and effort to try and get a better car or a motorcycle or a house. And we, we cover it and mask it with, well, this is a provision or this is a tool that I can use. And although they are a tool and they are a way to provide, a lot of times we spend all our energy, life, time, dollars chasing after that provision or tool. In fact, we'll do, I do this all the time. I'll work really, really hard so that I can have a vacation. It's like, I'm going to pour myself out so I can get out of town and try and relax. And we work so hard. We get this one-track mind where we see something so valuable. And for those of you that have kids or if you've experienced kids, you see it, they get that one toy. It's like laser focused. There is nothing else to pay attention to for them. doesn't matter what you say or dangle. Unless it's a shinier or better toy, their attention is there. And as adults, if we're not careful, that's the same thing that happens to us, is we focus in so much. In fact, dare I say, I believe God created us to focus in like that. In fact, God created us to want to be in something so, see something of such value that we want to stare and focus and push our life and our energy into it. In fact, let me tell you a story. There was this guy, and he was, he was walking. He was walking like he normally did most every night. He'd be walking and just kind of looking at the ground. He, he would he kind of just stumble along, and sometimes you cross fields, and it was a very big open area. And he was walking, all of a sudden he, he trips over something and just hits the ground. And when he looks and turns around and sees what it is, he, he, he first, at first glance, he, he sees it as something drastically different. In fact, so different that for a second he's, he's taken back. Like, what? what is this? What, what do I see? And he, he brushes some dust off and realizes that some of it's out of the ground and some of it's not, but he realizes very quickly what he has just found. In fact, he's, he's so amazed at what he found, he quickly covers it back up, quickly covers it up and starts taking a look. Okay, which field am I in? Where am I at? And he starts, okay, it's, it's, oh, it's this one. And he runs as fast as he can to his home. 
He puts a for sale sign in his, in his house. He gets it up. He starts hawking everything he can on Craigslist. He's got yard sales going on. He's doing bake sales. He's doing absolutely everything possible so that he can find the owner of this land and purchase this land. In fact, he does everything. He's so one-track minded that he's, he's, he's picking up night shifts. He's doing everything possible so that he can come across this, this amazing land with what he had just found in it. And so what he does, he sells everything he has. He sells everything. People are like, what are you doing? You got to live. He's like, he's just, I know what I'm doing. I know what I'm doing. What I'm about to have is of greater value than what I've had in all of these other things. And so he just starts selling everything. There's another story that's similar to that. It's very, very similar. In fact, it's, it's about a merchant. And a merchant, they, he, he, would, he would travel the flea markets, you know, and he'd go and find it. It was a wholesaler, and he would try and find a deal at some antique road show. And he'd say, okay, if I could find something of great value, I can turn around and sell it and make more money. And as he was going through, he went to the, the fairgrounds here in town, and he sees the, you know, the expos going on, and there's all these people's junk. Is one person's junk? Is someone else's gold, right? And so they're, they're all looking through all this thing, and what he's doing is he's looking for the same thing he's always looked for, something of value, something of, of beauty, something that he can take what he's had and sell other things or trade and get this. And he comes across this one piece of jewelry that is unbelievable. In fact, he's never seen anything like it before. In fact, it's so valuable and so beautiful that he, in that moment, leaves the market as quickly as he can, empties his truck and trunk with everything he has, puts a for-sale sticker in his truck, puts it up for sale, first highest bidder starts doing this auction to try and get rid of everything. He starts selling everything so that he can possess this one beautiful jewel. And he spends his life and everything he has. Everyone's thinking, this man has gone crazy. What is wrong with this person? How could he sell his truck and his stuff? What has he, he got? He just bought that awesome antique thing. How in the world did he just get so tired of that thing when it comes across this one treasure he found, this one piece of jewelry? See, in both these stories, these men looked ludicrous. They looked crazy. But see, these are the parables that Jesus tells when he talks about the kingdom of heaven. In Matthew, in Matthew, Jesus tells these, these two incredible parables when he's talking about in, in a section of chapter 13 where he's essentially eight different texts, eight different parables talking about the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God. And in these two parables, he tells these stories that, that to the, the average hearer of that day, it made complete sense on what they were doing. And what Jesus does, if you have your Bibles, it's in Matthew 13. He tells the stories I just told in chapter 44, he says, The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells all that he has and buys that field. Again, in verse 45, The kingdom of heaven is like a merchant in search of the fine pearls, who on finding one pearl of great value went and sold all that he had and bought it. And see, what's unique about these two stories, these two parables, is that Jesus is talking about the kingdom of heaven, and he's using common understanding terms of that day. The Jewish law said that if you find something, it's actually yours. So, so you could stumble across something and find it and be like, well, there's no one around here, or someone's dead, okay, it's mine now, and it was theirs. And a lot of people would take in this story, I want to talk about the first one, the treasure, a lot of people are like, wow, how dare he... The kingdom of heaven is like so valuable that you hide it from everyone else and try and buy land off someone and not tell them. That's the, the wrong point of the story if that's what you're focusing on. The point of what he is talking about here is the kingdom of, of heaven is so valuable that when you see it, it's worth leaving absolutely everything else behind just to have it. 
In fact, just so you guys know, in ancient time, burying things was like a safe bank. It was so common to bury things. In fact, if you, I've been in, 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 in Israel. You see where the Dead Sea Scrolls were found. The reason why the Dead Sea Scrolls were found was because a shepherd boy was just throwing rocks off a cliff, and one day all of a sudden he hears shatter. And he sees a clay pot that had the first Dead Sea Scroll, and so they started digging around there. That's how they found things of value were buried. Things of value were buried. So they had this law, the Jewish law said that if you find something and there's no owner around, it's yours. And so that was a very common, common thing. But he was honest. He went and actually bought the field instead of doing that. But again, this is a hypothetical story. And what Jesus is trying to make the point in both of these stories is that the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God, used synonymously in the, in the, the gospel of Luke and the gospel of Matthew, the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God are so valuable. They're that, they're that scooter or that motorcycle or that they're so much more valuable than even that stuff that when you look at that, the kingdom of God compared to that scooter or the motorcycle or your home or your hammock or whatever else it may be, you realize that they have no value in comparison. And so what Jesus is trying to say is, look, you guys are missing it. The kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God is so valuable that you don't want anything else in this world but that. Buried treasure was common. The second was the merchant. Now, a merchant was a common term. Merchants were people that would literally go from place to place to buy something and make money out of it. If you were defined as a merchant that day, you were good at what you did. You made a good living in this way. In fact, Jesus tells this story, this merchant, he has pearls already. He's probably gone from, from shoreline to shoreline finding these pearls. And in and, and this day and age, pearls were, was a dangerous, diving for pearls was a dangerous, and, and, and honestly, a lot, of, a lot of deaths came from getting pearls. So they were incredibly valuable. If you wore pearls, you were, you were considered elite, wealthy above all else. So pearls was a, a high-level investment, similar to maybe what we do today in diamonds, that much energy, effort, and focus was done on pearls. And so pearls were something that were so valuable. So a merchant of pearls would have been a very wealthy person, someone that understood and how, to, how to get the pearl at the right price and turn around and sell it for more. And this story talks about this merchant who's, who comes across a pearl. Now, he's looking for it. He's looking for a pearl, but he comes across a pearl of such value that he sells absolutely everything and every other pearl that he had in his possession at that moment to have this one pearl. So do you get what he's getting at? Jesus is making the statement, look, whether you stumble over it or you're looking for it, when you find the kingdom of God, nothing compares to it. Nothing holds any value in comparison to the kingdom of God. He's making the statement that the kingdom of God is so valuable that you literally abandon ship on everything else. Now let's make this personal. Some of you, when you come to the kingdom of God, you're like, what, what is the kingdom of God? You know, when, you, when you come to, to following Jesus, you make choices in your life sometimes that others around you are like, that's crazy. Why would you do that? Why would you live your life this way? Why would you make those choices this way? Why would you, why would you abandon all these things that the world could give you for the sake of, of some future kingdom? I wanted to define the kingdom of God because first off, for us to understand what we can take out of these texts, I think we need to understand what the kingdom of heaven or the kingdom of God is. Um, first off, one scholar says it this way, and I just love it. It says, God's people in God's place under God's rule. 
Um, but it's so much more than that. And I think these parables show us specifically what the kingdom of God is. Now, I want, to, I want you to hear this with me real quick. The kingdom of God is the treasure and the man. It's the pearl and the merchant. It's the fish and the fisherman, the parable we're going to get to soon. It's the field, the market, and the net. It's coming to bear on people from all means, brought to us by the king. It's one individual at a time. The kingdom of heaven is personal. The kingdom of heaven is for all of us to be a part of first rendering to Jesus Christ. The kingdom of heaven is one soul, one individual at a time. And so most of us in here, whether we're old or young, if some of your kids, you're like, you, your parents drag you to church and you're like, well, I don't know. I mean, this Jesus thing, it's cool, I think. I, I like it, maybe. I just like the donuts or the candy or the, the crafts are fun. Some of us adults, it's like, yeah, you know, I go to church and I, you know, I'll throw some money every now and then or I'll serve to feel good. But really, the kingdom of heaven, is it, is it of that much value? Like, is it, is it that valuable? And I think there's, there's, there's a few things that we can take from these two parables before we get into the third parable, which is the fisherman and the net. And that is, the first one is that, is that the kingdom of heaven is where everlasting joy comes from. And I feel like I need to just, just, just sit with this one second. Kids, if you can hear me, that toy, that scooter, that, that, that motorcycle, those Legos, that movie, they're fun and they're good. And God, God has this common grace for all of us where he allows us to experience these beautiful things. But when it comes to everlasting joy, when it comes to a joy that lasts long beyond the scooter, for us adults, long beyond the hammock or the house or the motorcycle, or the car. If you're looking for everlasting joy, it's only found in the kingdom of God. Everlasting joy is only found in the kingdom of God. And this is tough because I know, like, like, I think of things that I find joy out of. Like, I love a good burger, right? Like, a burger is awesome. A good burger is like, man, it makes me happy. Right? I don't know about you, but I'm like, oh, man, that was such a good burger. The avocado and all the yummy stuff on it. I'm like, that was a good burger. And in that moment, I'm happy. But happiness is just some cheap version of joy. See, if I, if I rest all my joy in that burger, then it's not sustaining. We all know. In fact, sometimes it's really not sustaining or good, right? Everything that we have in this world, every gift that we get is, is, it, that is good is from above. And everything that we look at, whether it's our marriage or a house or a car or a scooter or a hammock or whatever it is, every single thing must be rolled up into worshiping the God that provides it. It can't set on that. The kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is such a beautiful thing that everything else goes away, so much so that we can worship not the burger or the, the created thing, but we can worship the creator. In fact, Jesus in John 15 tells us how we can experience everlasting joy. It says in, in John 15, 10, and 11, it says, if you keep my commandments, it, you will abide, or that word re means to remain in my love, just as I have kept my father's commandments and remain in his love. These things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be mostly full. Your joy will only last for a little while. No, no, he says, so your joy may be full. Now, the Greek behind that word means full. I don't know if you know that. Like full actually means all of it, like full. So there's, there, if you look at another meaning of that word, it means full. Let me just be really clear. Your joy may be full. 
meaning that you won't ever have that, you know that, that like some of you right now, some of the kids are getting that donut like high and then they're starting to drop down, you know, like sugar's coming out. Oh, some of you adults, like, I haven't had a donut forever. Now you're like, now I know why. You know, like your stomach's starting to go in knots. When it comes to the kingdom of heaven, it's this joy that doesn't stop. It's this joy that doesn't wane. It's this joy that doesn't, doesn't fall short of what we'd hoped for. It's a joy that, that, that lasts and is full. It's a joy that's so full that when it comes to your life and everything else you're chasing, you realize just very quickly how important it is to stop chasing these things and surrender to the kingdom of God. So what we find in these two parables is that the treasure in the field and the pearl in the, in the merchants is so valuable that when it is found, your joy is actually full. So let me ask you this question, church. If you are not experiencing joy right now, and I'm not talking about trials or persecution. There are hardships in life, and I get that. But if your joy is not full or complete, then maybe you haven't remained with God and his love. Maybe his kingdom isn't of more value to you than your degree in college or that boy or that girl. Maybe his kingdom isn't of more value to you than, than your job or the next house or the next car or the next toy or gadget. The second thing we can get from this is that the kingdom of heaven comes at different circumstances. Now, kids, if, you can, if you're under the age of 12 and you're, you're, you're a child, listen to me really quickly. This is important. You can come to God in so many different circumstances. I love this story because in one side, coming to God was the guy just stumbles over it. He's not even looking for it. And he comes into it and hits it. And most of you kids that are here today, you're in a spot where your parents have brought you so that you could be looking for it, like the merchant, going, there is something out there. There's something better. I found this pearl. I've got this toy. It's so neat, and I love it, but there's something better than this toy. I just haven't found it yet. And so you're actively looking and seeking different circumstances. What we find out in these stories is that you can come and you can find the kingdom of God through different circumstances, one looking for it intently and the other not looking at all. Now let me challenge some of you college students or high school students that are in here. Some of you were raised in the church. You spent a lot of time around God or you, you've been in a church before and you're like, man, I am so tired of this. It's, it's just wrong. And you've seen some, some hypocritical things in the past. You've been burned in the past. Well, just so you know, your circumstance applies to the kingdom of God too. Your circumstance applies to the kingdom of God. In fact, I would say it's not an accident. You're here. Let me just challenge you. And I was, I was sharing this with one student um, a while ago. A lot of times we will take what experiences we've had in the past for spirituality or God or church and we've, we said, well, that's what my parents believe. Instead of, instead of understanding that there may be truth in that, we abandon all of it. And we say, well, I didn't like this, this, and this on how they did it. So then everything they said was a lie. Don't do that. It is foolish. It is foolishness for us to abandon every aspect of the kingdom because our parents or some past pastor or person at leadership had, had been a hypocrite or sinned against you. Don't abandon everything that everything they said was never true. There's a lot of it that may have been steeped in hypocrisy or untruth, but, but different circumstances. Look, one pastor says it this way, don't let the pains of your past poison the promise of your future. 
Right? Some of you right now, your circumstance is that you've been running from the church because you just can't get there. Some of you students, some of you young high school students or young college students, you're like, well, I go because friends drag me, but I saw it. I grew up in the church, and I saw a bunch of hypocrites, and I saw a bunch of people do this, and I, just, I, am, I am done with the church. And yet you're here today, and I, I believe you're here because you know, like that merchant, that there's something better out there. You haven't found it in this world and to just assume that you need to start over because everything the parents or your church, the past church has said is all a lie would be, it would be a, a disservice. Understand that the kingdom of heaven is, is, is there. It's, it's, it's for, for the taking. It's for the having. It's for the, the, the belonging. It's, it's, it's there. You just have to search. You have to want it. And some of you, because of your parents, or because of the past experiences, you're just ignoring a massive chunk of life and saying, I won't look over there. It must not be there. I can't have it there, so I'll just look over here. And all you're looking to is the world for answers. And you're limiting yourself to what the kingdom of God could be. The third thing is, is, that's out of these two is that the kingdom is personal and priceless. It's interesting because in both of these parables, there's a transaction that occurs for the kingdom of God. Both of these, both of these parables, there's a transaction that occurs for, these, for, for the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. Both of them sell everything they have to purchase the kingdom of heaven. Let me be very, very, very clear. The kingdom of God, salvation is through Jesus Christ, and it is a free gift done through Jesus Christ's spilled blood on the cross. It is free. But but it costs you everything. In fact, it would be a disservice to say over and over and over again that, look, it won't cost you something. In fact, Jesus calls us to die to ourselves and follow him. Die to ourselves daily and follow him. So it's this continual step and process. In fact, if you look at Luke 19, the rich young ruler, there are times in your life, and some of you right now, maybe God is calling you to, to sell everything. I mean, like, you're like, that's it, I got to abandon ship, I got to get rid of all of it. That's not common, but there are times he's done that. We see the rich, rich young ruler. When he comes to Jesus and says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What must I do? And Jesus says, keep these commandments. And he hits all of them. The, the guy's like, yeah, I've done that. I'm a rock star. I got this. And then Jesus says, no, there's, there's one thing you lack sell and give everything to the poor and come follow me. And the rich young ruler leaves saddened because he had great wealth. So there are times at which God is going to call you. And some of you right now, he may be calling you to give up your scooter or your hammock or your motorcycle or your car for his kingdom, but that may not be it. My point is there is a, there is a sacrifice to it, but it is an exchange. In fact, to assume that our salvation didn't cost something would be offensive to Jesus Christ. In fact, he gave up absolutely everything so that we could be a part of the kingdom of God. In fact, we were paid for. We were bought with an immense price. He did absolutely everything for you and I to be a part of the kingdom of God. It is, it is, it is personal and it's priceless. It's an exchange for an old self and a new self. See, some of you right now, you've been in and around the church for so long that you're like, I don't get this kingdom of God because I just, I don't have the joy. I don't see this. But yet you've been walking as this old self person. You've been holding on to these things. 
Like the, the next story that Jesus goes into about talking about the kingdom of heaven isn't as fun of a one to talk about. He uses this parable about fishing, and fishing was so common, especially where he's in Capernaum, where he's teaching, the Sea of Galilee is right there. And he says, look, there's this fishing story. And I want to be really clear, there's a couple different ways to fish. They could still fish by a single rod. They would do a single person net that would throw out and then pull, and then they would do this drag net, which is what Jesus talks about, where sometimes they'd, they'd anchor it to the shore or they'd put it between two boats, and they'd take up an entire area, and it would take tons and tons of people to pull these nets on shore. So much weight, and they would gather absolutely everything. And what Jesus goes on to say is this priceless kingdom, this, this, this amazing pearl, there's, there's, there's people that have it, and get it, and are part of it, and there's people that aren't. And what he does is he goes on in, in chapter 13, and he talks about these fishers, and he says, he says, again, the kingdom of heaven is like a net that was thrown into the sea and gathered fish of every kind. When it was full, men drew it to a shore and sat down and sorted the good into containers, but threw away the bad. So it will be at the close of the age. The angels will come out and separate the evil from the righteous, and throw them into the fire and throw them into a fire furnace in that place there'll be weeping and gnashing of teeth and what Jesus says is look the kingdom of heaven is of such great value there is no middle ground you're either you're either in or you're not you're either a part of it or you're not and what he's saying he uses a simple term that every single fisherman especially the people around around the sea of galilee understood yeah we've seen that dragnet you pull that in and it brings in like you know that person's shoe and everything else and all this stuff comes in there's good fish and there's bad fish and we have to sort it out and some of the good fish would be put into water containers so they could be moved off to further areas and, and and most of the fish would be just thrown into baskets and then the rest of them they wouldn't throw the shoe back in the water they say no this thing is this thing is of no value it's worthless. Similarly, now let me press on you a little bit. Those toys, guys, those, those, those things that we enjoy, and I, I, God is a good father, and he loves the joy that we have as his children, but those things are useless in the end. Those things, those things don't bring that everlasting joy that only the kingdom of heaven does. And so what Jesus does is he talks about this precious treasure or this amazing pearl. What he does, he says, look, both of those, when people have it, they realize they want nothing more than that. And we can still enjoy a good burger or something else in the kingdom of heaven. It's not that that's not a joy. It's that it's no longer the purpose or the intent. It's no longer the laser focus. I don't get those rumblings at 1130 and be like, that's it. That's all I can think about. It's no, I am I, I'm, I'm a part of the kingdom of God that's here for one individual at a time, that's, that's for the taking of all that would surrender to the work of Jesus Christ and his work for us. And that's what I do. So volunteers that have this wonderful day off, you volunteer not because we have to have you, although it would be a little chaotic with kids in here every week, I admit that, right? But you volunteer because you're part of the kingdom of God. Because when you serve with your talents and your gifts, you are playing a role in what God is doing in his kingdom here today on earth as it is in heaven. See, the kingdom of God isn't some future distant hope. It's here today. So when, when musicians get up and sing, they're not performing for you. They're, they're worshiping our God that is king over the kingdom of heaven. So when we do these things, when we give our money and when we spend our time and we, we exhaust those things, it's not because we think we're awesome. 
It's because the kingdom that we serve is of such great value, nothing else holds a single measure to it. You'll work hard for the things that we hold of high value. Let me say it this way. You do not have to earn salvation. It has already been paid for by you, but it costs everything. Or it has been paid for you by Jesus. You will die to yourself so that he can live as king. Being a part of his kingdom is recognizing that there is a king in place. And that's such a, a weird thought for most of us because we don't have kings. We're not like, Obama's my king. No, none of us use that term, right? But, but it, what it means is we have someone that is in charge. It's God's people under God's rule in God's place. And although this earth is a mess, although this earth is a disaster, you know what Jesus does? Is he steps into it and he brings a field, he brings a treasure, he brings a pearl, he brings a net, and he says, look, I'm coming in right now as your king and I'm gonna come in and bring this kingdom in presence and I'm gonna invite you to be a part of it today as it is in heaven. The band's gonna come up and we're gonna, we're gonna worship a little bit more. But before we do, I wanna, I wanna ask this question. What, what, what has God asked you to abandon for his kingdom? Uh, this is just a blanket question, not personal yet. Don't take it personal. Some of you are like squirming, like, ooh, I don't know. Like, what has he asked you to abandon for his kingdom? He's asked you to abandon everything, your old self. You're no longer that person. He took you and said, yeah, you were a thief. Nope, nope, you're my precious child. Yep, yep, you, you made these, these, you were a liar. Nope, not anymore. You're, you're, you're redeemed and you're, you're my son or my daughter. You're co-heir with Jesus Christ. It cost you everything. At the same time, it was completely free. He lavished it on you. So then my question is for you to this today. Some of you right now, you've been walking along and you came across that field, that treasure. You're like, whoa, that's really valuable. Hmm, that's a burger over here. And you started focusing on a burger. And sometimes you've gotten like, oh man, there's that pearl and that looks amazing. Wait, Jesus, you want me to, you want me to get rid of this too? But I think, I think I could use this for your purposes, Jesus. I swear I can. And some of you right now, some of you adults in here, you're, you're, you're holding on to things that aren't in purpose with his kingdom. You're holding on to relationships. You're holding on to money. You're holding on to, to experiences. You're holding on to your plans, your way. And Jesus is saying, no, 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 no. My, my kingdom is where the joy is. My kingdom is where, where it's at. Those things, those things, those, those have no value compared to my kingdom. And so my question is, what is God asking you to abandon for his kingdom? My assumption is if you ask that question honestly, there's something. It's something and you're going to go, I don't know, I don't really want to do that. I don't want to give that up because I like it. Or you keep lying to yourself saying, no, it doesn't control me. I don't, I don't, it doesn't control me. I can use this for your kingdom. What is God asking you to abandon? His kingdom is, is hard work. But, but it's where joy is lasting. So for, for, for some of us, he may be asking you to, to abandon some of your comfort. And it's like, you know what? You have been sitting way too comfortably for way too long way too safe and it's time to just step out into this comfort zone where you can no longer take credit for what you're doing and you have to lean into my spirit and let him lead you step by step. I don't know where it is. I don't know what it is for each of you. 
my encouragement would be that you would, you, would, you would again align yourself to that treasure in that field where all you want is his kingdom and his purposes. So the way you parent is for his kingdom. The way you do your school or college is for his kingdom. The way you are a husband or a wife is for his kingdom. The way that you honor your parents, kids, is for his kingdom. The way that you worship is for his kingdom. Let me pray. Father, thank you for bringing your kingdom here on earth. God, I pray that we would be more and more in love with your kingdom and your work and less and less in love with this world. God, you are very clear that we cannot serve both you and the world, and so I pray that the world would die to us, God. And I pray that you would be alive in us. Father, for those that, that are here that, that, that continue to struggle to, to live on purpose with your kingdom, would you um, remove the distractions, the noise, so they can hear your voice, they can see your leading of your spirit, Lord. Father, I pray that we would be more enamored with your kingdom. I pray that we would be a people that, that abandon all things of this world so that your glory could be found and seen and experienced and tasted on this earth as it is in heaven. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen.